Call us and join the conversation. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe, brought to you by WVU Medicine. coming through the door I think we've met somewhere before hello love hello love hello love hello love where in the world have you been so long I missed you so since you've been gone hello love howdy howdy hello love make yourself feel right at home I hope you plan on staying long, coming in love. Well, make yourself feel right at home. I certainly am feeling right at home. Oh, wait. I am. That's, that's, that's why I feel right at home. It is uh, 8.09 on the Watchdog Morning Show, and uh, uh, based on the recommendation of my chief advisor, uh, Bob Slider this morning, as he came into work and said, Boss, stay home. <laughs> These roads aren't very good right now. This was a couple of hours ago, of course, so I am uh, broadcasting from home this morning using the telephone today. We'll try and get this system fixed back to the old um, home studio stuff uh, one of these days, although hopefully back in the studio tomorrow if the weather holds up. Uh, but, uh, Bob, it was, uh, it was a rough morning coming in for you this morning. Hmm. Did I lose him? Here, Howard, I was just talking to our friend Tom. Uh, I'm Tom sorry. just checked in. No, so uh, everything's okay. good to go. Tom's with us, and uh, I didn't hear your question. What was your question? I said I was just talking about the uh, the ride into work this morning. I said, uh, you gave me advice to stay home. It was a bit of a rough ride for you. I mean, that's the way I call it, and people just say, hey, again, they'll remind us of the month, and they'll remind us of it, it does snow in January. But any time that I get on the interstate – and there's it's covered and you can't tell a lane from the you know because there there is no lane i would suggest especially if you don't have four-wheel drive that you stay home in those conditions maybe i'm a wimp i don't know and that's what i did i called you and i said howard if i was you i wouldn't do this well you weren't the wimp you're there i however am king of the wimps (laughs) and that's why i am here so but i am feeling right at home this morning uh, with my, my, I have my coffee here. I got my S Pellegrino, uh, sparkling water here. And uh, the only thing I don't have pal, is you, you bring me a Pepsi every morning. I'm Pepsi list today, but uh, that's probably just as, just as good a thing. I suppose so. Hey, the, I just realized the good news for me, you know what that is? What's yesterday, that? yesterday when I came home from work, I, I was debating what to have for, for lunch and Nancy was out. And so she said, we're going to pick you up something. And I said, well, pick me up some sausage, gravy, and biscuits. And she said, well, you just want the single, you know, serving? Said, no, get the big family serving. So I'm here at home, and I've already got sausage, gravy, and biscuits in there waiting for me when I'm done. Look at you, Howard. Yeah, and then it's going to be wrap-up. I did not get to do what I wanted to do yesterday, which I told you I was going to do, which you recommended, which is look up Mysterious West Virginia. So maybe today might be my day to... Dig into Mysterious West Virginia on YouTube that you recommended. That you will enjoy it, Howard. Absolutely. Yeah, check it out. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we're, I'm working on getting our, our buddy, Dan, my buddy, Danny Jones, to come in and join us. Uh, Danny, the former mayor of the Char- city of Charleston, the longest-running mayor in the city of Charleston ever, former talk show host as well. Danny and I have known each other for a long, long time. And um, I'm going to have him come in and talk about some politics, but I, I want to find out about that murder house that he lived in that you read the book about. I still want to know how in the world did his family decide to buy a house in which this gigantic, um, famous murder occurred, you know? Right there in the living room, Howard. So I know uh, a young Danny playing with his toys on that floor. I don't know if he ever thought about it after that or not. We'll, we'll find out. I'll talk to Danny about that sometime in the next uh, few days, I think. Hey, it's 12 here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Well, Iowa caucuses yesterday, some things happening over in uh, the Israel-Hamas uh, war. We want to get into that and whatever else Tom Kateri has, Skateri has to say. The uh, Pentagon poet will be coming up next here on the Watchdog Morning Show. It's 813. Hi, it's Hoppy Kirchhoff. We'll talk line on Metro News, where we interview the biggest names in politics in West Virginia, like Governor Jim Justice, who last time he was on was a little bit chippy concerning the Senate Finance Committee Chairman Eric Tarr. Eric Tarr's got to grow up. I mean, for God's sake of living, last thing on the planet that I, I was doing last night 
was proposing anything that was reflective of a Senate run. Talk line weekdays at 10.06. It's good to have options when choosing health coverage for your family, your employees, and your company. You want to plan with people you know, like the health plan, known for exceptional local customer service and are headquartered right here in West Virginia. We are families, we are businesses, and we are all moving forward together. We are here for you, the health plan. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard has led to a lot of firsts for me. It paid for me to be one of the first people in my family to go to college. That education got me to the first day at my dream job, which I could still hold while I served part-time. That job, along with the benefits I got through the West Virginia Army National Guard, helped me buy my first home. I also know that I'll be one of the first to respond if the Ohio Valley ever needs me during a natural disaster. I'm Sergeant Andrea Gump, and if you'd like to join my team, visit www.nationalguard.com WV for more information, or check out our Instagram or Facebook at WeGuardWestVirginia. Live and local, every weekday, with 10,000 watts of total power on WKKX and WVLY. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. He is our poetry man. He is the Pentagon poet here on the Watchdog Morning Show at 8.15 on a Tuesday morning. Tom Scateri is with us. All the things that he and I have to talk about. Tom, good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, what a night, huh? A lot of snow there and a lot of snow in Iowa. I guess it was the lowest, one of the lowest turnouts for caucuses in a long time. I wonder if anybody, I wonder if anybody died on behalf of Donald Trump because he did encourage that this week. Yeah, he said, make sure you vote if you, before you die, or something like yeah. that. Some new, new, new line in the Trump annals of uh, observation, shall we say. <laughs> go, go out and vote for me, even if you have to pass away afterwards. It's more important to vote for me. Yeah. Yikes. That's right. Um, well, I, you know, he won, he won big. As, no surprise. You know, he won big, right, Howard? And, you know, now it's who came in second. DeSantis said he came in second. Uh, who cares? You know, I mean, they, they, he, Trump got more than 50% of the vote. Uh, I don't know. You know, you and I have talked about this race on and off. It's just difficult for me to see how Donald Trump doesn't get the nomination. I mean, he's, you know, unless he gets convicted of something, and maybe that might hurt him in the fall election. But the Republicans who are voting in the caucus, and clearly, other than maybe New Hampshire, they seem to be inclined to just to give it to him. Yeah, I, I don't know how this whole thing plays out. There's no question. There's just no question, as you just said. Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. Um, I don't even think, an in, I mean, uh, especially an indictment, he's already been indicted. I don't even think a conviction will keep enough of the Republican base from voting for him. I think he's going to be the Republican nominee. Now, why are there second and third place contenders that we care about, Nikki Haley and well, Vivek Vivaswamy uh, uh, dropped out. Yeah, yeah, he, he dropped out, yeah. Why are, why are these other folks still fighting for second place? Because it's conceivable at some point, in my mind, that Trump will end up agreeing to not run as part of some sort of a deal to not go to jail. Short of that, he's going to be the nominee. I've been thinking a lot about this, Tom. Truth of the matter is, even if he is convicted, convicted, and if he's the nominee and gets elected, he can still be president. There's nothing that keeps him from being president. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and what he's being convicted would be convicted upon, and we're speculating here, are things that are, well, at least most of them would be, you know, selling secrets <laughs> you know, to the enemy to, or to our enemy. Know, yeah. classified information leading or inspiring an insurrection against the, com- the country and the government. I mean, these are... Crime, these would be crimes against the country, not just crimes. Which you know, you swear to uphold the Constitution, and obviously he's not doing, wasn't doing that. And that's my opinion, obviously. But I think, well, you know, but I, I think, think even, I, I, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, Howard. I think even a lot of folks. I was watching some of the interviews with folks in Iowa uh, before the caucus yesterday, uh, who were supporting Trump. 
even the supporters see the problems that he has and recognize that chaos will ensue if he becomes president. But at least right now they're still saying they're going to vote for him. Here's the question I have, and I don't have an answer for it, and you don't have an answer for it, but maybe we can speculate for a minute or two. And Bob Slider, get in and offer your thoughts, too. Are people, are Republicans saying, yes, by golly, I'm going to vote for Trump? Maybe they will vote for him in the primary, but deep down inside, do they know they can't possibly see this man as president, even if they voted for him in the primary? Uh, I'll let Bob go first on that one, but... I, I, nothing makes sense. I mean, I don't know why they haven't figured these guy, this guy out yet. It, 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 it baffles me. Uh, these are educated people that support him. It's almost like uh, we're back in Rome and, and they fear Caesar. And it just, it, it, just, yes. it, it just really, really is a bummer. Yeah, a lot of them that I saw yesterday being interviewed, and yes, the media may pick their interviews, all that stuff. But a lot of people I saw being interviewed, they said, well, I'm voting for Trump. Now, he's going to create chaos. That's the word I heard several times. He's going to create chaos. It's going to be a mess, but he's the guy I'm voting for. How do you vote for a guy when you know he's going to create chaos in the country? Yeah, yeah. See, that's just it. And I think that whoever votes for him in the primary are going to vote for him in the fall. You know, I don't think you think so. What you su- yeah, I don't think what you suggested is we'll give him the, help him get the nomination, but then I'm going to vote for Biden in the fall. I, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I saw yesterday, um, I know you didn't get my note this morning, but I was pulling together a note for yesterday just because it was a long weekend, and I like to do that, you know, to get caught up. And No Labels, which is not a middle-of-the-road organization despite its PR, has a list now of 13 people for its presidential ticket. You know, they want to combine Republican presidential candidate with a Democratic vice presidential candidate according to the Washington Examiner newspaper. <clears throat> and so they'll do that if, if the nominees appear to be Trump and Biden, which they appear to be. So they're going to announce that in March. And I know just, I know Senator Manchin was one of those names bandied about it as well. But, you know, so if you have a third party like that, that, that'll hurt Biden more than hurt Trump, because Trump's people are going to vote for him. I mean, as we just said, so it's not like you're going to put someone up on the third party who might appeal to, quote-unquote, Trump voters. You might appeal to some of the swing voters who Biden would need. (laughs) Uh, Senator Manchin said this week, I think it was on Face the Nation, that I would never do anything that would help elect Donald Trump, which, if you follow that through, in my mind, that means he's not going to run as a third-party candidate. But I, I don't know that that's what he meant, but that was the line he used. I would never do anything that would help elect Donald Trump. Well, let's go back to what Governor Christie said. He would never do anything. He would do all he can. I'm paraphrasing slightly. He dropped out of the race, I guess, a week ago, and right. he said he wouldn't do anything. He didn't want to do anything that could help Trump get the nomination or elected. And he dropped out of the race, okay, because that's all he could do at this point. I mean, maybe some other things. But, you know, he saw himself in the race as taking votes away from Nikki Haley, I guess. And so he dropped out, hoping to give her a better shot in New Hampshire, where he was doing his best, which is not that great, but then nevertheless, his best. So he took it to that extreme. He dropped out of the race. So, you know, Senator Manchin, by saying that to me, unless there's some kind of, uh, you know, different type of English he's using, he won't do anything, right? He said anything. Is that his word? Anything? That was the quote on Face the Nation. Face the Nation, yeah. Okay. I would not do anything. Well, anything means anything. (laughs) That means you don't run as a third-party candidate because and, and pretend like it won't help Donald Trump. Well, it's not. It's going to give voters a choice. Uh, that's nonsense. It will give voters a choice, sure, but it's going to help Donald Trump. And this is not even me speaking as someone who doesn't want Trump. This is me looking at it from a political landscape as someone who care, covered third parties and independent candidates. Who do they appeal to? Well, uh, you know, Ralph Nader appealed to Democrats who weren't happy with uh, Gore, okay? They were upset with Gore for some reason, okay? John Anderson when he ran in 1980, appealed to Republicans, for the most part, who were not happy with Reagan, okay? So th- these, these are not, I don't call them protest candidates, because they're not necessarily protest candidates, but they draw from certain groups of voters who aren't happy with the two choices. That's the obvious. But in this case, Trump has changed the dynamics of politics so much, as we've said many times, that his people, as you pointed out just this morning, Howard, you know, it doesn't matter if he's been indicted, doesn't matter if he's 
this. Maybe if he's convicted, it won't matter. They're still going to vote for him. Yeah, the third party, uh, any third party candidate, certainly a Manchin candidate, uh, I guess RFK Jr. is out there, who they appeal to in general, and I'm no political expert, but I think this is pretty much true, and you kind of said this, they appeal to the uncommitted or to those who don't have a passion for a candidate. Those who say, yeah. oh, man, you know, I wish I had another choice. Well, Trump supporters don't say that. Those are passionate, committed candidate, or, uh, uh, voters. They're not looking for yeah. another option. Most of them aren't. Some right. of them may be, but most of them aren't. Yeah, exactly. Here's, a myth. Here's one myth about uh, third-party candidates, and I didn't learn this. The Libertarian Party, which is the third party in this country, and they're on every ballot. They're very good about this. They've had candidates running for a long time for all offices, including president. And they always, they always like to point out when I was covering politics at USA Today, third-party politics, they would say, me, see, in the 5th District in this state, our votes made a difference because the votes that their candidate received was greater than the difference between the winning and losing Democrat-Republican, depending on how it went. That's not the case, Howard. Generally speaking, you'll see always 2 to 3% of the vote going to third-party candidates by voters who don't want to vote for either of them. These are not the voters we're talking about. You have to get up to 5 or 6% of the vote of a, of a third-party candidate before you, it seems like you're cutting into one of the major party candidates. So that's why, you know, Ralph Nader clearly did that, and John Anderson did, although Reagan won easily that, that election, so you can't say that he caused Carter of the election. But, but you know, this 2 to 3 to percent of the vote uh, won't really make a difference in most, because those voters aren't going to vote for either Trump or Biden anyway. Right, and, and that's, that's the bottom line. A third-party candidate's only value is to those who are, looking, those who are confused. And in this day and age, there aren't a lot. Now, again, polls show that both parties, Republicans and Democrats, are dissatisfied with each of the candidates. But Trump's yep. voters are, are are extremely committed. Tom, I, I want to shift gears in a minute, but let's just stick with yep. this for one second, because I've been, this is more philosophically, politically philosophical, all right? I was thinking about this a good bit the last couple of days. Is there a better way? I mean, we are locked into a system that gave us Biden and Trump. And I think in the grand scheme of the world, or the grand scheme of America, you'd have a lot of people who would would have preferred other folks made their way up. But the system we have, the party selection system, locks us into this, and this is where we are, and there's not, not, not much we can do about it. And we can talk about third-party candidates, and we can talk about no labels or some of the other groups, but... Is there a better way? Is there a different way? I, I haven't been able to figure out how we do it differently. Well, yeah, it's a good question, and I could I can suggest some reasons why we're in the situation we're in, and I don't mean because of the two particular candidates. First of all, the two major parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, they might fight over a lot of things, but they agree on let's keep all others off the ballot and make it extremely Correct. difficult for other people to get on the ballot, other parties to get on the ballot, viable nationally. And if they get on the ballot, to stay on without a big struggle, whereas they are on, the Democrats and Republicans are on every, every year, every election. And if they choose not to run somebody, that's their choice. Um, whereas, you know, other than libertarians, as I just mentioned, other third parties struggle to stay on the ballot. Okay, so that's the one thing. So you have two parties who are trying to keep the, keep the system closed. The processing, uh, the process for nominating candidates, and <laughs> I kind of, I, I quote unquote laugh at this because of all the reforms that were put in by the parties to get away from the so-called smoke-filled rooms and all that often have produced these candidates that people aren't excited about. Uh, you know, sure, the smoke-filled rooms had a lot of their problems, and I wasn't there, and I'm not going to romanticize an error, E-R-A, an error when I wasn't there and saw the strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, we had some pretty mediocre presidents as well during our history. But they were produced by people who thought this is the best person to win who represents our party's interests. Can you imagine Donald Trump emerging from a smoke-filled room in the old days? You know, 2016? Yeah. Probably not. You know, that's not, that doesn't put aside the fact that he won the nomination and won the presidency and almost won re-election. Uh, you know, so he was somebody that people wanted. But um, so part of the, is the is the system with the caucuses and the primaries. Uh, look, is all the you know I love New Hampshire. I love going up there. When I was a reporter up there, I, I always enjoyed it. I enjoyed covering Iowa as well. I am not against those states, 
But the process is just bizarre. That, you know, people have to go out on a freezing night like last night in Iowa to determine nominees. And if you don't do it right, if you're a candidate, you don't get it and you're out, you know, before you get to a California or a Florida or, or some of the bigger states or even even states like Arkansas, you know, and, and uh, you know, Michigan, you know, there's, and, and the West Coast states. There's a bunch of different states out there. And, you know, either either have one super primary, which is kind of unheard of, or I don't know how to reform it. But every year, every election, it gets deeper and deeper into this hole. Yeah, I don't have the answers. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I truly don't don't know what the answers are. Here's the, the other thing. And here's the other thing, Howard. Here's the other thing I'm going to throw in here. As you know, I covered the Pentagon. I've covered it for a while, and I used to take I always take trips, not always often, with the Secretary of Defense. But I did it with Secretary Rumsfeld, Donald Rumsfeld, and this was in the early 2000. And what's one thing Secretary Rumsfeld always did at the end of the trip was the night, the last night of the trip, he would host a dinner for everybody on the trip. In other words, the press, his staff. Etc. Mm-hmm. And it was an off-the-record dinner, but he would host it just to thank everyone for coming and just to talk about the trip and anything else. And, I, and this, I'm not going to be breaking a confidence here. On one of these trips, uh, one of the reporters asked him, you know, he had thought about running for president and took a few of the preliminary steps. And he said, why did you, he asked Rumsfeld, why did you not run? Uh, and Rumsfeld said, because I talked to John Glenn, so this would have been after 84 when Glenn ran and didn't get the nomination, and John Glenn said to him, to Rumsfeld, you better be prepared to be in debt the rest of your life if you run for president, mm-hmm. because that's how much it costs. And so Rumsfeld didn't run. Now, I'm, you know, Rumsfeld, would he have been a good president or not? I'll leave that to the others to decide. But, you know, clearly a smart, educated man uh, who had been a congressman and, you know, Secretary of Defense twice and other things. He didn't run because of the money factor. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why. I, I, I lament when senators die, like, uh, pass away, and I think, boy, he, he, he would have been a good president. Carl, I think Carl Levin of Michigan, for example, who died many mm-hmm. years ago. Herb Cole, a Republican from Wisconsin who just died. Outstanding public servant, business person, senator, with Republican. Um, he probably would have been a good president as well. You know, there's a lot of people who I see who I think they, they could be a good president. I, I I often say on the air, you know, we it's a it's a misbelief if you believe that we get if we end up with the two best choices, we don't end up with the two best people around. I mean, look look at what we've got coming up this time around, likely Biden and Trump. Those are not the two best people for president in this country, but it's what the system directs us toward. And again, I wish there was a way to change it. Tom, I, I have a few other things I want to get to before I let you go, and I have to let you go because I have another guest coming up, but. Here at 8.30 in the morning, the Watchdog Morning Show, Tom Scateri is with us at Pentagon. Our Pentagon Poet. I like that. That's your new name, the Pentagon Poet. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, you were mentioning Rumsfeld. Um, how about the Secretary of Defense? He's our current Secretary of Defense. He's out of the hospital now. Is that right? Yeah, as I, I put in the note to you, he's out of the hospital. But he's still in the doghouse. Um, he, <laughs> um, he, he was released yesterday from Walter Reed. He'd been treated for complications following his December surgery for prostate cancer. He went back in with pain and other things uh, on January 1st. And now he is, uh, according to the Pentagon statement, he's going to perform his duties from home. Of course, that's where they said he was when they asked before. He was really in the hospital. So, And I, I, I got a little cute in the note to you. I'm sorry you didn't get it. But, uh, you know, he's out of the doghouse, but... Uh, he still has a couple probes in his future, uh, Howard. Uh, there's three. There's three. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, investigations underway. Uh, one at, in the Pentagon by his own staff, which should be not so bad, but one by the Inspector General at the Pentagon, and already one on Capitol Hill. I think the House Armed Services Committee as to what happened, why the White House wasn't informed, et cetera. And so uh, these are going to proceed, Howard. I'm thinking without the respect or the anesthesia he was performed afforded at Walter Reed. <laughs> <laughs> very, very clever imagery. I get what you're saying. Get what you're saying there, Tom. Uh, let, let's, uh, let's get your Pentagon hat on for a minute or two. Um, yes. Things have gotten a little rough over in the Israel-Hamas uh, area, right? Yes. I think that listeners might, might benefit by thinking of it like this, that Iran is behind all this, and they have talked about a ring of fire around Israel. Okay, so think about it. You have Gaza and Hamas, where fighting is still treacherous and horrendous, and off and civilians paying the the steepest price. You have the ships being attacked in the Red Sea 
off of the coast of Yemen by the Houthis in Yemen. And despite the airstrikes last Friday, we were off cycle. You know, the U.S. had airstrikes in Britain against Houthi facilities, and right away the Houthis continued. So those, and the ship was hit yesterday. It wasn't sunk, but, and it was able to continue, but it's still continuing. You have in Iraq, you have Iranian-backed militia who just fired some rockets, ballistic missiles, excuse me, which are bigger, at uh, nearby the U.S. consulate and other facilities in Erbil, which is a city in northern Iraq in the Kurdistan region. And you still have continuing attacks against U.S. facilities in Syria and Iraq by Iranian-backed groups in in that part. And then, of course, the Hezbollah in the northern part of Israel, they've up there activity. So you have this ring of fire described by Iran around Israel. The Pentagon says they're not related. No one really believes that. And despite everything the U.S. and others have done to minimize it or curtail it, it hasn't stopped. Is this, uh, so this is beginning to actually grow bigger. Yeah, this, it meaning is growing the, bigger. What started with, what started on October 6th is growing, the whole thing is just growing bigger. Yeah, I, I, it is. And, again, the Pentagon's in denial, he's public denial about it. Um, but, you know, when you hit, when the U.S. and Britain sent in, you know, planes and, and ships to shoot down, shoot and destroy these Houthi facilities uh, to send a signal, well, you know, it didn't, it, it, it increased, okay? The problem is now is you're getting close. So, as I said, these ballistic missiles were fired at the U.S. consulate, near the U.S. consulate in Erbil, Kurdistan, Think of it, hit, you know, it hits the consulate. Okay, that's technically U.S. territory. You yeah. know, embassies and consulates are part of, considered part of that sovereign nation's territory. And then, you know, Which then is then technically an act of war. Yeah. So that, then what do you do? You know, so this is why it's getting, I believe, more and more dangerous. Uh, indeed, you know, they hit the ship, as I said, the ship was okay. But it's just, it's just all over all that circle. Thomas, you mentioned uh, earlier I did not get your morning report. I apologize for that. Probably, I don't know, the cold and the snow ate it or something. <laughs> I don't know. But you always have some kind of a little interesting sidelight story that you share with me. Anything before I let you go that you want to uh, touch well, on? I wonder, uh, you know, this is now 100 days of fighting, by the way, in Gaza. This is the longest ever between um, um, Hamas and Israel. Uh, here's something that's very serious that people don't realize um, U.S. ships, by the way, as part of this, they interdicted a, a warship. They, they recovered, um, sorry, they, they stopped the ship that was illegally transporting Iranian warheads to Yemen for the Houthis. The SEALs, U.S. SEAL, Navy SEALs did it. Well, the SEALs hit heavy water. One SEAL was washed overboard. And according to protocol, Howard, a second SEAL then jumped in to try to rescue yep. that first SEAL. And they remain missing. I just think it's always, it's not a lighthearted story, but it's one to point out the bravery and the valor of all of our troops. So when one goes overboard, one, somebody else jumps in immediately? Yeah, try to save that person. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's wow. Yeah. amazing. How about that? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Tom, I appreciate your time this morning. Um, uh, thanks very much. We will do it again next week. And why do I feel like some of the same stories will be just back here again? <laughs> Next well, week we'll talk about the New Hampshire I mean, primary. I try to find I try to find some newer newer ones for you once in a while, but I you know the whole weekend was just bad news. <laughs> well, maybe we'll find some good news next week. I'm not predicting that, but maybe we will. Always good talking <laughs> okay. to you, Tom. I appreciate it very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Eight thirty six. All right, bye bye. Eight thirty six twenty four till the hour. Bob, I say this every Tuesday. I really enjoy talking to him. I do too. I could uh, I like to uh, spend a little bit more time with him. I, I, so many things we could talk about. Uh, you know, we did not talk about the Steelers today, but, uh, you know, I'm sure he was feeling it also. <laughs> I was going to ask him about that, but I, I'm, I'm watching my clock. I've got some other things to get to, but I was going to ask him about the Steelers. But, um, you know, Tom used to be with us. Well, Tom was part of the entire D.C. team with the Ellen Ratner, uh, Tom, and others. Well, we did this every day. And I ought to talk to Tom maybe about doing more than once a week because he's just, he's just good. And he really knows his stuff. And he's another one of these guys that we have, Bob. He just drops in lines. When I was in Afghanistan as an award-winning reporter, <laughs> you know, I think we forget that these folks were, were, were and are still very active and, and really good 
reporters. These aren't just schmucks like us. You, know? you could do a show, Howard, just on memorable uh, uh, plane flights, you know, conversations, you know, interesting anecdotes. Uh, well, yeah, we, we on a flight here. I mean, he, he's just been around so much. And then he could tell he could read a poem in between. Very talented. <laughs> eight thirty eight twenty two to the hour. Women's vice mayor is going to join us, uh, Chad Thalma. We're going to talk about the homeless situation, homeless camps. Uh, will there be a managed camp? What happens when the uh, the deadline for the closing of the camps ends? I think today, tomorrow. All that's coming up on the Watchdog Morning Show. But first, here is Taylor Long in the Ohio Valley News Center. Good Tuesday morning, everyone. I'm Taylor Long with your 7 News headlines on this January the 16th. There is a big need for poll workers across the region. West Virginia Secretary of State Mac Warner recently met with the Ohio County Election Board on one topic of discussion was the need for volunteers to help run the various polling locations. Warner is also the chief elections officer for the state and says working at the polls is a great way for voters to gain confidence in the elections. He says that having people from the community working the polls allows for a fair and safe election. Now to become a poll worker, you can contact your local elections office or visit the Go Vote West Virginia website, which you can find on WTRF.com. Looking across the mountain state, a debate over the appropriate age for Holocaust education in West Virginia schools has risen following the introduction of State Bill 448. The bill mandates Holocaust lessons in public schools intended for 8th grade and higher. Critics argue that the decision should be left to teachers, where the bill's sponsor believes younger students may not be ready. The U.S. Holocaust Museum approves Holocaust education from 6th grade onwards, and this could potentially be incorporated into a West Virginia bill. And all new this morning, great news for residents in one local town. Their police department is now fully staffed. The Wellsburg Police Department filled several vacancies as three new officers were sworn in by Mayor Daniel Dudley yesterday. Kaylin Ferguson, Richard Reinard, and Daniel Casto all took the oath to protect and serve the community. Police Chief Michael Allman also took part in the ceremony and says he's looking forward to working with the new officers. And the Salvation Army is partnering with the Operation Warm and Wheeling Subaru to donate children's athletic shoes sizes 7T to 6 as part of the Share the Love campaign. Parents can register their children from Tuesday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. between today and Friday. Only 120 pairs are available on a first-come, first-served basis. Photographers will be present at the event. That was a look at your headlines. Have a terrific Tuesday. I'm Taylor Long, working for you. Just how difficult is it to play in the Big 12 Conference? Well, the computer has an idea. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Caridi. That story coming up on today's Mountaineer Report brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. With the Kroger app, shopping online with pickup and delivery is the same as shopping in-store. Same low prices, same personalized deals, same rewards on the same high-quality items like Honeycrisp apples and pasta sauce with no hidden fees or markups. It's one small click for groceries, one big win for busy families everywhere. Start your cart today at Kroger.com. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Restriction supply, see site for details. Kroger always gives you savings and rewards on top of our lower than low prices. And when you download the Kroger app, you can enjoy over $500 in savings every week with digital coupons. Plus, you can earn fuel points to save up to $1 per gallon at the pump. And with a Boost membership, you'll save even more with double fuel points and free delivery. So you can always save big every day with our savings and rewards. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Travel day for the Mountaineer basketball team. West Virginia making its way to Norman, Oklahoma. They'll meet up against the Sooners tomorrow night. We'll talk more about the specifics of that game coming up on tomorrow's report. But for today, let's focus on a graphic that the folks at ESPN have produced talking about schedule strength and what is left in front of college basketball teams this season. So according to ESPN's College Basketball Power Index, the teams that face the most difficult schedules for the rest of the year, if you were to group them into the top 16 of those schools, 14, you heard it correct, 14 of the 16 schools facing the most difficult schedules the rest of the season are all 14 members of the Big 12 Conference. So, according to the computer, Baylor has the most difficult schedule remaining, then Texas, 
Iowa State, UCF, Kansas, and, yes, the beloved West Virginia Mountaineers, according to the computer, face the sixth most difficult schedule for the rest of the year in the conference and in the country. Speaking of those Big 12 teams, a busy night in the league coming up. TCU plays at Cincinnati. Baylor goes to Manhattan to meet up against Kansas State tonight. Kansas at Oklahoma State and Iowa State goes to Provo to take on the Cougars of BYU. Should be an interesting night in the Big 12. That is today's Mountaineer Report is brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. I'm Tony Caridi on the Mountaineer Sports Network from Learfield. Toyota's national sales event is on, making now the best time to save big at your Toyota dealer. With available APR financing as low as 1.9% on select new 2022 fuel-efficient Camrys, Corollas, RAV4s, and Highlanders. Or go off-road in a rugged Tacoma or Tundra, also with low financing available to qualified buyers. Visit buyatoyota.com for more. Not all buyers will qualify for special APR financing from Toyota. See your dealer for details. Hurry, Toyota's national sales event ends September 6th. Toyota, let's go places. Live from the Robinson Auto Group Studios in the heart of the Ohio Valley, this is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Eight forty-four, sixteen to the hour. Watchdog Morning Show. The uh, temperature dropping a smidgen, twelve degrees, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport, and that is a feels-like temperature. The airport of one, just one little finger, just a single finger, one degree, uh, feels-like temperature. The airport, twelve degrees, thirteen at the Highlands, fourteen here at uh, my home studios in Elm Grove. Bob, what do you have there at the Watchdog Radio Network studios? We're at twelve. Twelve degrees. So it is a cold morning outside. Uh, wind chill advisory uh, kicks into effect tonight through tomorrow, where the wind chill advisory, the National Weather Service said, could go down to 13 below zero. But again, it's one degree, the wind chill right now, up at the Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. And I just peeked outside, still a lot of snow. Well, not a lot, still a nice, good bit of snow coming down here in Elm Grove. And um, uh, certainly, it looks like a winter wonderland out there, Bob. It uh, it looks cold, and it is cold, Howard. Well, when it's cold, uh, every year my thoughts go to the folks who are homeless. And this year, because homeless has become such a big issue in the city of Wheeling, I am particularly thoughtful of those who have nowhere to stay, to live. Um, The city has put this camping ban into effect, with which I basically agree, but the managed camp is not yet up. The good news is that um, several of the social service agencies, starting with Salvation Army, have decided to open their doors during the daytime because what has been bothering me since the ban went into effect the first of this year and the managed camp was not in effect is where do these guys gals go? They they go into the free shelters overnight, they're back out on the streets and we're going to be have you know, it's a windshield feel of one at the airport. Um but I feel I, I like this idea that the Salvation Army and others are beginning to work together. Chad Thalman is the vice mayor of the city of Wheeling. Chad has thoughts about this. Chad, um, I actually feel good to see these other agencies stepping forward and maybe a little bit of working together. I don't know if I'm reading that wrong or not. Yeah, I think this was the hope and the plan all along that the city and the local homeless advocates will work together to come up with some sort of a solution. And I tip my hat to the Salvation Army and Catholic Charities and other organizations that have stepped up to uh, to help out our homeless population. So um, the, the problem, of course, has been with the homeless ban, although it's te- te- temporarily on pause, but with the homeless ban, uh, the camping ban, I should say, uh, the homeless folks were able to go into freeze shelters like the Life Hub or the Salvation Army or Catholic Charities overnight, but they have to leave in the morning, and then what do they do all day long? Now Salvation Army and the others have said they're going to open their doors during the daytime, we're looking at the at best double you know teen temperatures for this next couple of days, and at worst negative teen temperatures. Uh, so there will be a warm place during the daytime, and that's good. But Chad, what is going to happen with this so-called managed camp? The 
the pause in the managed camp implement the pause of the camping ban comes to an end in a day or so. What what's going to happen next? Do you, I mean, do, do you have any thoughts? Is council going to take this up tonight or what? I have not heard anyone on city council suggest that, that this be taken. Open expectation all along is that a managed camp will be up and running uh, sooner rather than later. And um, I'll ask the city manager for an update tonight. You, it was your proposal to begin with that the ban be um, softened a bit with the managed camp idea, which to me makes perfect sense. It was never fully defined in the ordinance, but the city manager drew up some uh, suggested rules, if that's the right word. Uh, but the managed camp is supposed to be done by the social service agencies, by the homeless advocates themselves, finding a location and putting it all together. Um, and and that's 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 what's missing. Uh, what happens, Chad? And what what do you want to see happen once the, the ban goes into effect? If there is no managed camp, what what what's going to happen? What do you want to see happen? Well, Howard, you're correct. The, the 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 original ban that was put on the city council agenda did not include any provision for a managed camp. I reached out to um, local homeless advocates, the city of Wheeling uh, homeless liaison and ask their opinions and their thoughts, and they are the ones that suggested uh, that we have a managed camp. So I added that amendment to the original uh, bill, uh, the amendment to allow a managed camp past 7-0. to The overall bill, the overall ban on camping on public property without permission uh, passed 5-2. to uh, So all along, I've been hopeful and optimistic that city staff and the local homeless organizations will work together to create this managed camp and get it up and running sooner rather than later. But it's not just that it has to be created. I mean, it has to be policed. There has to be rules. Um, there has to be oversight. There has to be sanitation. Um, so it, it's a big challenge, I think, for city staff and the local local homeless advocates. Um, but I'm confident they'll continue to work together, and I'm hopeful we'll get this up and running sooner rather than later. Again, I put the caveat here that I feel a little bit better today than I did yesterday, seeing that the Salvation Army and some of the others are now opening their doors during the daytime. And the movement by the Salvation Army seemed to have sparked some of the others to also do a daytime service. So it is the beginning, in my mind, and I might be just too optimistic, it's the beginning of seeing these entities working together. My concern all along has been, and I always thought it was one of the jobs of the homeless liaison, was to pull all of these agencies together and get them working together. And frankly, up until now, I haven't seen a lot of that. The expectation when we created the homeless liaison position would be that uh, the local organizations work together a little bit better and that we can all work together to, we're never going to quote-unquote solve homelessness, but we can work together to manage the issue a little bit better and help these individuals and help the city at the same time. Uh, so I'm happy to see these, these agencies stepping forward. You, but Howard, you know, due to the temperatures, even if we did have a managed camp, uh, the managed camp would almost certainly be outdoors. So, so due to the temperatures, um, you know, even if we had a managed camp, we would still need some of these organizations to hopefully step up to help out the homeless population during the day when it's this cold. Uh, if there is a deadline, I'm not talking about a legal deadline, but if there is a deadline for something to get done and organized, it probably is the closing of the Life Hub's free shelter in March. I mean, that's where right now you have the free shelter, the Life Hub. Uh, and the other entities have, you know, wintertime freeze shelters overnight. People can come and go. At some point, they shut those doors down as the weather gets better. Uh, and then, then we end up asking the question, where, where will the homeless folks go after that? Yeah, again, I, I don't know. I'm not an expert here. But my expectation would be that the city of Wheeling, city staff here in Wheeling, and the local homeless advocates work together to get this managed camp running uh, sooner rather than later. The uh, ACLU is threatening. They have not filed a suit, but they're threatening a suit, or at least as far as I know they haven't filed a suit. They are threatening a suit uh, if you don't get a managed camp up and running. Uh, how do you feel about that threat from the ACLU? Yeah, I'm not an attorney, so I can't really comment on the validity of the lawsuit. Uh, we do have a city solicitor. Or we do have two attorneys on city council, one of which you know, voted for this ban. Um, I've been told that they're not overly concerned with the threat of this lawsuit. Um, you know, 
frankly, I think the ACLU does some good things, but this is an organization that's down in Charleston. I can't recall them coming to a city council meeting and offering any advice or solutions. I can't recall a single time that they went out with Dr. Mercer or street moms or any other other homeless advocates and, and served the homeless population. Uh, so, you know, I, I'd appreciate organizations that offer solutions instead of just threatening lawsuits. The ACLU, I don't, I don't like, whether it's ACLU or anybody else, I don't like operating under, uh, almost under blackmail. You do this or we will sue you. Uh, I would prefer, as I think you're implying, I would prefer if the ACLU got together and said, let's, maybe we'll help you work some things out, but that's not the approach that they've chosen to take. I understand, and I did not see this, uh, I read in the paper and I think on Channel 7, uh, I believe council got or the administration got a letter from a variety of local homeless advocates, including Dr. Mercer, encouraging suspension of the uh, camping ban uh, enforcement. Um, have you seen that letter? Uh, does it make any, does it hit home with you at all? Yeah, I, I absolutely saw the letter and I, I can say that uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Dr. Mercer and, and, and some of the other homeless advocates that signed the letter. I don't think there's an easy solution here. Um, you know, this ban uh, was going to pass city council. I added the amendment to allow the managed camp. I would like to see that managed camp, as I keep saying, open sooner rather than later. Um, but you know, where I disagree with some of the homeless advocates is I, I, I just happen to believe that it's a bad idea to allow anybody to camp anywhere at any time for any reason without permission and without rules. So that was the point or the reason I voted for the homeless ban. Um, but I also uh, introduced the amendment to allow for a managed camp. So I'm optimistic that we have a lot of really wonderful people here in the city of Wheeling that um, dedicate a lot of time and energy to take care of the homeless population, and I'm optimistic they can work with city staff to get this managed camp up and running. But you said at the beginning, as far as you know, no, there is no proposal coming forth tonight to in any way adapt or modify or change the current ban which technically went into effect in January, was delayed. I, I don't know. Uh, today, tomorrow, sometime this week, that delay comes to an end. There is no movement afoot, for, as far as you know, for council to uh, to do something tonight? Uh, that's correct. I have not been informed of, of any type of changes or movement. Would you want to do that? I mean, would you, is it something you would propose? Are you, are you sat? Let me rephrase that. Uh, are you satisfied that once the ban is in effect, let's put it in effect tomorrow or whatever, without a managed camp, are you satisfied with that scenario? Well, again, my hope and expectation is that a managed camp, you know, would have been up and running some, you know, by now or sometime in the near future. You know, again, I just disagree with the idea that anybody should be allowed to camp anywhere at any time for any reason without rules and without permission. And even if we did um, go back to kind of the Wild West days where anybody could camp anywhere, you know, it's still extremely cold outside. I still don't think it's a great idea for our homeless population to be forced to sleep outside. I, I do know I had a conversation with the homeless liaison, and, and she is looking at getting storage bins and lockers at the Life Hub uh, so the homeless population will have a place to store their stuff maybe during the day when they're not able to, to be inside the Life Hub. Catholic Charities, I believe, has stepped up as, as the Salvation Army. Um, I, I think the public library is also an option for people to spend some time during the day. Um, so I, I would not be advocating... Uh, that we go back and, and roll back the ban. Instead, I would advocate that we work towards uh, solutions that benefit everybody. And I don't think forcing the homeless um, or encouraging the homeless to, to sleep outside uh, this time of the year by, by rescinding the ban is a good idea. I, I actually hadn't thought what uh, – I like that idea. I hadn't heard that the Life Hub, for example, was talking about finding a place for people to put their possessions. That's always been my thought from the beginning. Okay, 8 o'clock in the morning you've had your nice warm night's sleep, go back out in the cold, and you have to take your bag or your shopping cart or whatever. But if they had a place to keep their possessions for um, a period of time, that would actually be, uh, that would actually make make, uh, make some sense. And I like the idea, I, I'm, I should be interviewing you, but I like the idea. The Salvation Army has said they have rules. They don't allow anybody in who's got alcohol in their breath. They don't take women. But... They said, we will take some of the folks from the Life Hub, men, sober, uh, homeless folks, they can come into our facility, which will free up beds at the Life Hub for those that we can't take, they in the Salvation Army can't take. Again, sounds like there's just some movement towards working together. 
And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe getting tough is what it took to force these folks to work together. I don't know. Well, Howard, I think all along, you know, this is what we need, just not just on the homeless issue, but just as a community, we need more people coming together, more individuals, more organizations, including the city of Wheeling, working towards common goals. And I think that's what we're seeing happening right here. All right. Hey, Chad, I really appreciate your time this morning. I'm trying to get a sense of where everybody is at on this, and I appreciate, uh, uh, first place, I appreciate the fact that you at least made the the, the uh, original amendment to the orders to, to put a managed camp up, and I still think a managed camp needs to get put together at some point, but I do understand the logistics of it. Finding a place is hard. Uh, do you have a place in mind, in your own personal mind? Do you have any ideas where they might put a, a managed camp? And I don't mean to put you uh, no. on the spot. I just, I'm yeah, just... no, I'm certainly, I'm certainly not an expert on, on where, where a managed camp should go. I, I think, you know, the police department, city staff, the homeless advocates, uh, the local nonprofits who, who, and, and faith, faith-based organizations that work with the homeless are the ones that are best equipped to decide where this managed camp can go. I, I think it's a tricky, uh, it's, a, it's a tricky issue because no one really wants this in their backyard. And the reality is this, this, this managed camp probably has to be and this is just my own opinion, but it probably has to be in the downtown or East Wheeling neighborhoods, so it's walking distance for the homeless uh, to all the, the, the services that uh, are provided to the homeless population. I don't think it makes sense to put, you know, a managed camp out in, uh, you know, in Valley Grove or Clearview and have to bus people back and forth to, uh, right. you know, Catholic Charities or all the other organizations. So it's probably going to have to go in the downtown or East Wheeling neighborhoods. It's tricky. Um, I don't know the best location, but there's experts out there that know much better than I do, and um, the ball's in their court to find the location. Chad, I appreciate your time this morning. I always do. Thanks so much. Uh, have yourself a good day. Stay warm. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Howard. Thank you. Nine o'clock, Watchdog Morning Show. Bob, I have a few more thoughts following up on this. You and I can talk about it coming up after the news break. Uh, right now, ABC covers the world. FM 97.7, AM 1370, WVLY, Moundsville. From ABC News, I'm Sherry Preston in Des Moines. We want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. How big was Donald Trump's win in this state? ABC News political director Rick Klein says really, really big. This was an absolute blowout, a romp across the state, whether it was urban, rural. It almost didn't matter when it came to Donald Trump. He won 98 of Iowa's 99 counties. In fact, the only one he lost, he lost by a single vote. Trump spent the least amount of time here of all the major candidates, far less than Ron DeSantis.